Well, why don't you go with me to uh, the book of Exodus? Why don't you take your Bibles if you don't have one? Uh, we want you to have a copy of a Bible in front of you so our ushers are coming around. You could just uh, get their attention, um, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. We are uh, we love to study God's Word together, and we are in the book of Exodus. We are going to be finishing Exodus chapter 1 today. Love what God is doing in this book. This, this book, Exodus, that, that word, uh, the title is actually from uh, the Greek word exodos, meaning to, to exit or to go out from. And so this is, this is just this epic story of God delivering His people out of slavery, leading them out into the the wilderness and then entering into a covenant relationship with them. And uh, this is honestly one of the greatest acts of salvation in the Old Testament, so much so that uh, throughout the Old Testament, it's actually repeated multiple times. They remember this and uh, this actually, this this story, what God does here uh, points to a greater salvation in Jesus. And so as we uh, jump into the book of Exodus, we're going to see God's power. We're going to see his glory. We're going to see his salvation. We're going to see his steadfast love. Man, we need a bigger picture of God. That's awesome. But uh, before it gets good, it's got to get really bad. The reason that God is actually going to have to come and rescue his people is that, that the life for the children of Israel, according to Exodus chapter 1, is uh, pretty awful, all right? These are dark days of um, oppression and evil and suffering. And I just got to say that I'm really glad that the Bible just deals with reality, okay? It's not trying to sugarcoat it. It's not all puppies and rainbows. Not every day is awesome. And, and sometimes um, life is hard. And I think I, I, I don't know that um, this is going to shock any of you. I think I've said this before. I'm not a huge fan of watching um, sad movies. Um, I think that being sad, I, I get some of you like get your kicks from, you know, snuggling in a blanket with a box of tissues and somehow that's entertaining to you. It's not to me. And, and, and I don't really enjoy that emotion. And, and so my wife is really kind and doesn't like force me to watch that kind of stuff. But, but while I would most of the time choose not to watch a sad movie, I just want to say like I get it, okay? I get the reason that sometimes we're drawn to those stories is because the emotion and the pain in them really reflect our own experience in this broken world. And that out of the, the brokenness and out of that pain can sometimes come something incredibly beautiful. And, and, and light can be better appreciated because of the darkness that we saw before. And in, in, in no way am I trying to suggest that the reason that suffering exists is, is just so that we can better appreciate healing and victory. Like, like um, good is not dependent on evil for its existence. That's not it. But whether we can understand it or not, I know this issue is incredibly hard. All of us have to deal with the reality of evil and brokenness around us, right? All you have to do is live long enough, and eventually, you're going to get um, one of those painful phone calls. Or the scary doctor's diagnosis. 
or some really disappointing and uh, discouraging news or you're going to get hurt, you're going to be wounded. This is, uh, at, at some point, we all have to deal with this because our world is just full of uh, evil and suffering. Now, here's the deal. If anyone should be able to uh, face the, uh, the harsh reality of suffering and injustice with courage, it can and should be those of us who know the love and the authority of Jesus Christ who will have the last word and set all things right in the end. There's so much hope in the gospel. But that doesn't mean that it's not hard in the moment. That doesn't mean that, that we sometimes don't struggle, uh, especially when the pain and suffering hit us personally, and we end up kind of wondering in the middle of it, like, where's God in all of this? And that's actually where we find the children of Israel here in Exodus chapter 1. I think there's something incredibly important that we need to learn about God here this morning. So here's, here's a big idea uh, of the text. If you're taking notes, note this. No matter how bad things get, God is still sovereign, and we can trust him. Like, I know that the circumstances are difficult sometimes. That doesn't change who God is, that he's still in control. And there's incredible reasons for us to be able to trust him in that. I want to show this to you, all right? Exodus chapter 1, I'm going to be starting in verse 8. Starting in verse 8, you follow along with me as I read. It says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then... Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. If it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male ch children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is not good. In fact, this is really, really bad. 
Like if, if we're reading, if you're in a Bible reading plan and you get to Exodus chapter 1, this is the worst it's ever been. And, and, and I even think about the fact that um, this week I decided I was going to watch uh, The Prince of Egypt with my kids. I love that movie and you know I think it's an awesome uh, depiction. I know they take some uh, creative liberties, uh, but it's a really cool story. But even in the Prince of Egypt, I found like at this point, when we got to this point in the story, I literally had to cover uh, the eyes of J.C. and Javen because even the cartoon version of this is too disturbing. This is evil. And so I think we have two responses here that I want to show you from the text. Two responses, like how are we supposed to respond in the midst of, of, of suffering and evil? Here's one, note this. Trust that he's working despite how it seems. And we're going to have to remember that. There's a whole lot of uh, factors working against uh, Israel's favor here. In fact, we saw one of them last week as we were studying in verse 7. Uh, verse 7 actually tells us that the, the children of Israel, they multiplied, they grew exceedingly strong, so much so that the land was filled with them. So Israel is becoming a great nation. Remember, they're, they're refugees that, that have come down to Egypt for help, and now they become a force to, to be reckoned with. And then verse 8 tells us that now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So, so you remember, they had previously enjoyed some, some special treatment because uh, Joseph had been a leader, really he'd been a savior in Egypt. And so for a little while, uh, they, they, they were looked up to, they were, they were treated really well. Now we've got a new king who either doesn't know his history or doesn't care and he has no respect for the people of Israel. In fact, he sees them as a threat. Verse 9, he says, they're, they're too many, they're too mighty for us. And in this text, we're, we're going to see the wicked progression of racial oppression and even genocide. Now, now this wicked tyrant, this, this, this oppressive king, he, he doesn't just come right out there with, with, with hatred and, and, and bigotry. It actually first starts with just calculated political shrewdness. Did you see that? Look, look at verse 10. Look at what he says. He said, come let us deal shrewdly with them. The, the Hebrew word for shrewdly is actually the word to mean be wise, as in the kind of wisdom that you would see in the book of Proverbs. And so this, this actually sounds like good, sensible advice at first. I mean, he, he gets his top advisors and all his commanders together. He's like, let's, let's be wise about this situation. Let's think ahead. Let's not let this get worse. We don't want to wait until this problem really becomes big. Then we have to deal with it. You just think about this. We've got a whole group of refugees here, and they're multiplying. And, you know, if war breaks out, then they're going to join our enemies. And then we've really got problems. This sounds reasonable at first. But what he's doing is playing on people's fears, on their nationalism, and on the desire for self-preservation. It's like we've never, it's hard to imagine politics being motivated by any of that, right? Unfortunately, we've actually seen this played out in history before, haven't we? And this kind of political shrewdness then leads to oppression. Look, verse 11. 
So they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. To afflict means it's, it, this is just the unjust use of their authority. What they're trying to do is they're coming down on, they're trying to wear down on these people. This is state-sponsored oppression, forced labor, and slavery. They're just they're trying to put these people, put them in their place. And then verse 13 says they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. That word uh, has the idea of, of violence and brutality. So this is getting ugly real fast. This, this is not just that the, you know, the Egyptians, uh, the nationals, get preferential treatment and some advantages, and maybe there's a, a, you know, like a slight pay gap between. No, no, no. This, this is violence and racial oppression. This is denigrating them, humiliating them, stripping them of their rights and their dignity. And, and the text says that they made their lives bitter. This is not a good time to be a Hebrew. And so at some point, you got to be like, at, 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 in all of this, they got to be wondering, like, where is God? Would you be wondering that? Especially if you've been reading Genesis and you get all the way, you'll be like, up until this point, God's been showing up in pretty much every generation. Like, he showed up with Abraham, he showed up with Isaac, then he showed up with Jacob. So now we're kind of wondering, like, what, where, where'd he go? How come he's not saying anything? How, how come he's not doing anything? Why is he letting this happen? Where's God now? In fact, we don't actually see God really start to take action until the end of chapter 2, which is years later after Moses has grown up. He, he, he's, he's an adult now. In fact, Moses doesn't come to talk to Pharaoh until he's about 80 years old. All these people have been living under this and, and, and suffering for years and years, and it kind of seems like God's not around right now, like he's not doing anything about it. which we know how that feels, don't we? Like sometimes when, when we're facing um, suffering, evil, injustice, there is a temptation for us to kind of question God. Especially when we feel like he, he could have prevented this from happening. Or at least he could have stopped it immediately when, when, when it started. And, and then we get kind of impatient when we're forced to go through hard times with an unknown timeline like how how long is what's going on and 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 why is God letting this happen to me how come he's not uh, doing anything about this and and we can start to doubt right and the things we start to doubt are whether God's really in control Because if he is in control, he could do something about it. And we start to doubt whether he's really good and whether he cares. Because if he did care, he would do something about it, right? So sometimes when we're really wrestling with evil and injustice and suffering, it seems like God is not there, like he doesn't care. But our perceptions need to be brought into submission to what we know is true about God. That what God tells us is that He is with us. That He is working. And that no matter how bad things get, He is still sovereign 
and we can trust him. If we um, end up drawing conclusions about our theology just based on our experience or circumstances, we're actually going to miss the truth about God of who he really is and this confidence that we can have in his sovereignty and in his goodness in the midst of suffering. And it's during the dark days that we desperately need assurance that that God is working despite how it seems. And the only way we're going to get that is from the Word of God. Because sometimes we can't see it. But it's here in the text. In fact, uh, aside from knowing how this story ends, we we, we know what's going to happen. But aside from that, I want you to look at verse 12. And we need to circle this. Verse verse 12 is actually a hint in the middle of all of this of of what's coming and a reminder that God really is working in the midst of it all. Here's what he says. Uh, Verse 12 says, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. So so Pharaoh's plan is kind of backfiring on him. He's like, oh, every time I try to step on you people, it's just it's spreading. And this is it's you're you're just getting more and more people here. And do you think that's just a coincidence? See, Moses is writing this detail. He's the author. He's including this to tie it back to what God has already been doing. Remember, we saw this last week. They're, they're multiplying, just like we saw in verse 7. They were multiplying, which was a fulfillment of the promise that God had made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 and in Genesis chapter 15. God came to Abraham and he said, I'm going to make of you and your descendants a great nation. In fact, come outside, I'm going to show you this. Look up and look at all the stars and you see how many stars there are? That's how many descendants you're going to have. So, so, so what's happening here is, is, is there's already been so many times where that promise that God had made to Abraham has been kind of living on the edge of a cliff. Like, is this really going to happen? You had Abraham who didn't have any kids. How, how's that going to work? And then he finally does have his son. And Isaac and his son, Jacob and Esau, they're cheating one another and want to kill each other. Like, that'll put an end to this real quick. And then there's Jacob's sons, and they're dysfunctional. And then there's this famine that comes to to threaten to wipe out Abraham's whole family. So we're kind of left wondering, like, is this really going to happen? But we saw God's been working. And so here is Pharaoh attempting to keep them from multiplying, which is really an attack on God's promise to Abraham. And it's also an attack on God's command. Because God had commanded all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, if you remember, God commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And, And so Pharaoh is not just attacking Israel, he's actually lining up in opposition as God's enemy. And there's this underlying theme that's that's foreshadowed here in verse 12 that that's not really going to work out for him. Like, we know how this is going down, right? God made a promise, and what he's helping us see is not not even the opposition of the nations, this, this earthly kingdom, no matter how powerful it is, nothing can thwart the plan of God. In fact, um, God's not surprised by this because he predicted it. 
This was actually part of his plan. Did you know that? I, w- I want you to see this on the screen. This is Genesis chapter 15. This is, this is the point where God brought Abraham outside because I want, I want to give you this promise and let you know that your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. And here's what the Lord said to Abraham. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And, I, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. You know what that tells me? That God knew exactly what was going on. And then I know what it looks like in the moment, but he is still in control, and he does not let evil have the last word. He is using this for his own redemptive purposes. And what Moses is doing is pointing us back to what God has already done in the past and reminding us of the promise that God has made so that we know what he's capable of right now. And I know, like, currently things are bad, but despite how it seems, he really is still working. Man, that's such an encouragement for us today, isn't it? Like, I... Some of you, my, my heart goes out to some of you who are really hurting and wrestling with something and, and you've been struggling and this, is, you, this has been wearing on you and, and you're feeling like, why and how long and what's going on? Or, or, or maybe you're trying to help another brother or sister who's just living in pain and I get that in the moment that it, it might seem like God is, God is silent or, or that he's absent, but that's not true. And, and we can... See from God's word, I love the the comfort of Psalm 34, that that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. James tells us that we can draw near to God and he will draw near to us. But even in the midst of that, we have this confidence that God is still working. We look to God's promises and his actions in the past to help us trust in the present. And also look forward to the future in hope. To know what he is going to do. So whatever it is that you've been wrestling with, don't don't just focus on the circumstances. I know they loom large and I know what it seems like. But God is still there and he is working. And we see that in his word. I know sometimes when somebody's going through something really difficult, they don't necessarily want a theological, a theological treatise on this. Um, sometimes people just need a little bit of comfort and for you to come around them and put your arm around them and be a shoulder to cry on and let them know that you love them and that you're there for them. But we do need to know that there is an answer for the suffering and the injustice in this world. We do need to know, how is this going to get better? And the answer, of course, is that God sent his son, Jesus. He sent his son to conquer sin and death. He's not just sitting up there like, I don't know what to do about this. He knew exactly what to do about it. And he sent his son. And then he also gives us this promise that we're living in that Jesus is going to come back again in judgment against evil. 
and the hope of the resurrection that he is going to set all things right again. Nothing can stop the redemptive purposes and plan of God. And, and, and here's Pharaoh, this, this, this powerful political figure with this horrifically evil intentions. Yet even in his attempts to, to stamp out God's people, he fails miserably in this. And God is actually going to use Pharaoh to accomplish his purposes just like the father uses Satan's evil intentions of crucifying his son to bring about salvation to the world. You can't stop the promises of God. And so I know that sometimes it hurts. Sometimes um, it doesn't seem like there are answers. But he is working. Here's the second response in the midst of suffering and evil I see here. Fear him more than anything. We need to learn to fear him more than anything. It's actually going to get worse. Verse uh, 15 and 16, the uh, Pharaoh actually starts to plot murder, and, and he tries to be kind of uh, secretive about it at first. He, he calls these um, two women in. God bless them. Uh, their names are Shifra and Pua. That's not Pua like the pig from Moana and Probably not names that we're going to be hearing when our baby girls are born this year, um, safe to say. But, but these, these women are midwives for the Hebrews, and, and Pharaoh commands them to kill the boys. This is after-birth abortion and murder. He says, you can leave the girls. They're... they're they're not really seen as such a threat to society, which is ironic because God's actually going to use the ladies here to frustrate Pharaoh's evil plan. But man, this is sick, isn't it? This is genocide. But I want you to keep in, uh, a, a big picture in mind here. Remember, there's a lot more going on. Because last week we saw that God had made an, a, a promise to us even before Abraham. In Genesis chapter 3, right after we sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, and the curse of sin entered into the world, in the middle of that curse, God made a promise, and He said that the offspring of Eve, the offspring of the woman, was going to come and crush evil. And of course, we know eventually that's Jesus, but then, but then as we read Genesis, we get to Genesis chapter 12, and Moses helps us understand that that one, that offspring of the, of the woman is going to come through the family of Abraham. And so this is an attack on, uh, on that promise and an attempt to wipe out and eradicate the line of Abraham through whom Jesus is going to come. But is it going to work? No, in fact... Um, God is going to use these two women to preserve life and the line of Messiah because verse 17, I love this, the midwives feared God. And because they feared God, they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them and they let the male children live. Now, now this is kind of dangerous disobedience to a, to a man who could have easily had them killed, right? I mean, he is, he is powerful, he is murderous, and yet to them, Pharaoh is nothing compared to God Almighty. 
Like, man, if we could have that same view of God as, as Shifra and Pua there. That we would know who God is and, and we would see him rightly. See, see the reason that, that they're uh, protecting the sanctity of life here is not because they, they line up politically with the pro-life movement in Egypt. Okay, This is not a democracy where they have the freedom to vote and, 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 and they can march on the palace and stand for a cause. This is a command from a racist tyrant who wants to stamp out the people of God. And these women are taking their lives in their own hands by trying to preserve life because they feared the life giver. To them, God alone is deserving of, of reverence and awe and obedience. So here's the deal. I, I know that like when we're facing evil, when we look around and we see how awful this world is, we're, we're, we're kind of tempted to, 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 to freak out a little bit and, and forget that God really is sovereign and he is greater than any enemy or any threat that exists in the world today. In fact, Jesus tells us, he says, don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There needs to be a right fear of the Lord. Think about this. We're about to witness this unforgettable battle in the book of Exodus. We're going to see Pharaoh lining up, and we're going to see what God does. And from the start, Moses is trying to get this question right. Who is more powerful? Who's the one that we should fear most? Listen, God is so awesome, it should literally take our breath away. I, I, I remember when I was... In college, I decided that I was going to go uh, bungee jumping. Has anybody else ever been jump, bungee jumping? Okay, we got one other crazy. And, and, and I, I, I loved it. It was awesome. I had just had knee surgery, and so um, I, I, I actually had to, like, uh, jump out backwards on this. And I remember that moment of, like, standing there looking, looking back before I'm supposed to jump back far enough so that I don't smack my head and die on that. And, and, and it's this moment where I'm looking down, and it's like, like literally almost takes your breath away. You're like, oh my goodness, I'm about to jump. That's the feeling that we ought to have when we come into the presence of God. It should take our breath away. Don't just, don't just make God some cuddly, comfy teddy bear that's just all about love. Like I know that he is love. But, but if you just make him, you shrink him down into something that's, that's comfortable, then there's no solution for the evil ex that exists and you'll lose his holiness and you'll lose his power and his goodness to destroy that evil because of his love. We need, I think, to recover a sense of awe of God. That this is not a God to be messed with. But that doesn't mean that... that, that that, that he's mean or that he's vindictive, but it does mean he's holy and he is just. And that ought to stop rebellious sinners in our tracks. But it also ought to make his, his mercy and his grace to us all the more amazing. Because then we realize, man, we, we don't deserve this. But because of the Lamb of God in my place, what Jesus did for me on the cross, I can have forgiveness. I can have, have peace with a holy God. And when we see the greatness of God, 
when, when we understand his, his grace to make us his own, we can say like the psalmist, Psalm 118, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Pharaoh? He's nothing compared to the Lord. Guys, what do, what do we ever have to be afraid of? Our God alone is sovereign, and he is working, and he's for us. And because these women knew this, and, and instead of fearful women who, who just kind of go along with wickedness because they're more concerned with, with self-preservation and, and avoiding suffering themselves, instead of all of that, they courageously take a stand against evil and look out for others. Because the one who takes their breath away is the one who gives them breath and holds their lives in his hands. When we rightly fear the Lord, it means we never have to freak out the next time we read something on Facebook. We don't have to let the news send us into panic attacks and, and, and live with fear and anxiety and, and, and worry and, and just be motivated by this need to try to protect ourselves and, and cushion ourselves against any kind of suffering that might We're free from that kind of fear. And now as believers in Jesus, we can live sent right where God has us in the midst of this darkness and this evil in the world and let the light and the love of Christ shine because we're caring more about others than just ourselves. I mean, how can you stop a church that lives like that? And then I want you to notice verse 18. God blesses those who fear him. Pharaoh's not super happy about this. I mean, he's, when he finds out, he's like, like what, what in the world? Why are all these kids alive? And the, uh, I love, the, 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 the midwives are like, I mean, these, these Hebrew women, they must have skipped Lamaze class. They didn't know they were supposed to wait for us. So by the time we got there, I mean, they, the kid was already done. He weighed him. They got the little goopy stuff in his eyes and the blue hat. And he's under the warming light. It's, the job's done. We didn't know, like, and, and, and we don't know how much of this was actually a lie, but God blesses them, not for what they say, but for what they did and why they did it. They saved lives because, verse 21, they feared God. And because they feared the Lord, God blesses them. He actually gives Shifra and Pua families and then he also blesses his people, Israel. Verse 20, they, the, the people multiplied and they grew very strong. Here's evil doing its best to stamp out the line of Christ, but God's not having it. He is at work fulfilling his promise. Then, he, then it gets even worse. Even when it gets worse, verse 22, I mean, this is just awful. Pharaoh just kind of like takes the gloves off here. He actually uh, commands all of the Egyptians now to throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile. I mean, this is just, this is all out hatred and state-sponsored genocide. This is not secretive anymore. Uh, this is just war. And he takes the life giving Nile River for that people and turns it into a weapon of death. But is it going to work? No, in fact, next week we're actually going to see that it's out of this river that God is going to bring the deliverer for his people. And, and this event, 
actually foreshadows for us another crazed, murderous king who hundreds and hundreds of years later tried to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem. But God's redemptive plan cannot be stopped. And he brought the deliverer into the world to save us from sin and death. Here's the deal. I know that evil happens. Suffering happens. And I know that a lot of times you're wondering, why? Why is this happening to me? What he's helping us see is that God is still at work. That he is using these things for his redemptive purpose, for his glory, and for the joy of those who know him and delight in him. So no matter how bad things get, despite what it seems, God is still sovereign, and we really can trust him. Father, thank you so much for oh, what an awesome story this is. I mean, it's such, so much of it is horrible. So much of it we hate. So much of it we read, and first we're kind of shocked that it's even in the Bible. But I love the fact that this is just reality. This is the world we're living in. But even in the midst of this brokenness, even in the midst of this evil, this suffering, You're not surprised by that. You're not taken aback. There's nothing in you that, 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 is, that is shocked and doesn't know what to do. This is part of your plan. That even in the midst of it, you are able to take this evil, this injustice, and, and turn it into something that brings glory to your name and joy to your people. Just as we've seen you do it with the cross. So God, I, I praise you. That even when we might not see it, even when it might not seem like it, you really are still with us. We can draw near to you with this promise that you will draw near to us. And so Lord, if anybody's here that's just struggling and hurting and they're in pain and they're questioning, Lord, you are a God of compassion. And I pray that you'd be merciful to them. I pray that you would show them that you are listening, that you care, that you invite us to cast our cares on you because you care for us. And you've demonstrated that because of the work of Jesus. Lord, we have incredible promises to hold on to in your word. I pray that you would help us to have the courage and the faith to believe them, to hold on to these promises. You will accomplish your redemptive purpose. So we give you praise in Jesus' name.